Oh, I want to tell you something, church. The greatest thing you'll ever do is just live in the will of God. And the excuses, the excuses are a dime a dozen. I hope you've enjoyed our series that we've been in the last uh, little, little over a month now. We've been in a series called Finding Victory in a Failing World. And today I want to talk to you about this subject, the importance of living in God's will. It's not a flashy title, but it's exactly what God wants me to speak on today. And the importance of living in God's will. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm just, I'm sort of done with the flashy titles. And I just want to uh, give you what's on my heart and give you what God has laid on my heart today. And, um, you know, I know we've got a lot of visitors here today. And we're a little different at Calvary Baptist Church. And uh, we're different on purpose, by the way. And our music's a little different. Our preaching's a little different. And, uh, and I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to say some things today. Uh, and I know it's a Sunday morning service, but I'm going to say some things that are pretty bold today. And, uh, but I'm giving, you, I'm giving you a fair warning about that, all right? And um, if you've ever flown, you know, every once in a while, the pilot will come over the speaker system and he'll say, folks, I'm going to turn on the buckle your seatbelt sign because we may hit some turbulence in just a little while. And so I'm going to go ahead right now and turn the buckle your seatbelt sign on, all right? We may have some turbulence in just a little while. But it's good turbulence, and it's, uh, it's turbulence that, uh, that the Lord has laid on my heart. And it's turbulence that we need to talk about. And the problem in our nation is that it's not being talked about. And it's definitely not being talked about from the pulpit, now, I don't know all the reasons for that. I, uh, uh, some of it, at least some of it, is because preachers are so scared to speak the truth anymore. And so now new young preachers, young preachers are coming into churches and they're getting hired on staff. And the first thing they want to know is, what's my package? What's my package? When I started ministry, I didn't know what a package was. And had I known what a package was, this church didn't have one to offer. I was a married man with two kids, and the church paid me $150 a week. I was a married man with two kids, and the church paid me $150 a week. That's, that was my salary. And I just told the church, y'all just do the best you can. And as the church grows, do better. And we're just going to go from there. They said, preacher, sounds like a good deal to us. I said, sounds like a good deal to me. Let's go. Let's get, let's get started. And, um, and I'm not against. I, I think churches ought to. I think churches ought to take care of their staff. And, and you do, by the way. And I thank the Lord for that. But uh, I think some churches or are, are some pastors are so afraid they're going to lose their car That's right. and their insurance that they are... Um, not willing to preach what needs to be preached. You'd be amazed, Calvary. I know that you think I'm making all this stuff up, but I'm not. You'd be amazed at the pastors who have to prepare their preaching outline and then submit it to the deacon board before Sunday so the deacon board can approve it before he preaches it. And so we're in a mess in America. And a lot of it's our fault. Preacher's faults and, and church's fault because we're not um, letting our voice be heard. And I, and I, I heard this, this week, and I'm going I'm to get into this and preach and try to get you out here at a good time today. But, but uh, I heard this this week that a lot of us feel a certain way, but we're not saying it. And we've got to get to the point where we're not just feeling it, but we're saying it. We've got to say it. We've got to speak it. And I'm not just talking about the pastors, but the people. We got to start. We got to start letting our voice be heard. And uh, and so this week I was listening. You may have heard it. I listened to the broadcast this week. And they were interviewing a teacher, and they had put her on administrative leave because she would not be silent about her faith, and she wasn't trying to drive it down anybody's. She was a public school teacher. wasn't trying to drive it down anybody's throat, but she wouldn't be silent about her faith. And so because of that, they took this public school teacher, put her on administrative leave. Another thing is that uh, they wanted her to recognize boys as girls, and she wouldn't do it. 
And so they said, because of that, we're putting you on administrative leave. And this lady said, and I appreciate what she said. She said, I've been, in, I've been in education for 27 years. And she said, it's not just my job to educate children. It's my job to build their character. But she said, they have taken everything away from us that builds character. So if you don't show up to class or on time, you get a penalty. If you don't put your name on your test paper, you get a point taken off. If you are chewing gum in class, you're not supposed to, you get a penalty. She said, and yet they've taken all those things away. So she said, now if a kid doesn't put their name on their paper, we can't take off because of what they're telling us is it's just behavioral. And so you can't. You can't take off if they don't put their name. And I'm thinking, well, if you don't put the name on the paper, how do you know whose paper it is? <laughs> is that just common sense or what? Are we so, listen, are we in such a mess that we have just absolutely, we have missed common sense altogether? And, uh, and so I think some of the things that I'm going to preach this morning are just common sense things. And, and so Genesis 13 in your Bibles, when you find your place, Let's all stand this morning if you're able. Out of respect for the reading of God's word, Genesis chapter 13 and verse number one. And Abraham uh, and, and Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had and Lot with him into the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold. Let's see. Brother Brandon, run him off and get my... Hanky, if you will. I'm going to need that, buddy. And I took it out. I'm sorry. Verse number three. And he went on his journeys from the south, even to Bethel, under the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Hai, under the place of the altar which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. And Lot also, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents, and the land was not able to bear them that they might dwell together, for their substance was great so that they could not dwell together. And there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle, and the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled then in the land. And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from the other. Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent towards Sodom. Oh, my. Look at verse 13. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. And you may be seated this morning. And I'm going to preach, I'll try to preach quickly, and I don't think I'll get you out any later than we normally would on a Sunday morning. We try to end the service at 1230, so just put your mind at ease, and we'll do our best to get you out right around 1230 today. I want to talk to you about the importance of living in God's will. Let's pray together and ask God to help us this morning. Father, thank you for your goodness and for the privilege to be here today. And uh, Lord, wonderful spirit here today, good spirit of worship choir did a great job today and we just thank you lord for the good congregational singing and the wonderful special by miss angie and miss lydia and lord i pray now that you'll uh, knit our hearts together and as you do so often so faithfully i pray for the power of the holy spirit now god give us unction that smearing upon of the holy ghost and and uh, and i pray it not just for the pastor but i pray it for these dear people, my family, my church family, these folks that I love and care greatly about. And Lord, so many of them have a bullseye on their back right now. And 
We know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the enemy is working. And I plead the blood of Jesus over them and over me and over my wife. Oh, God, help us not to stumble. And Father, help us to be found faithful when Jesus returns. Challenge our hearts really good through this, what we call the foolishness of preaching. And Lord, save that one that's nearest hell and encourage that one that is discouraged today. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And for his sake and all God's people said, amen. I apologize, man. I got the sniffles going on now. Verse 13. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. Interesting. And this whole series has been interesting. At least I, I think it's been incredibly interesting. And we have, uh, we have uh, discovered some amazing things through this series. This week I was studying in Genesis chapter 13 and I was there at verse number 13 and I was studying some of the words in verse number 13. And the Bible says, but the men of Sodom were wicked. Wow, what a, what a word. It's a Hebrew word, which means this. It means worse than worst. You've heard of the worst of the worst? I, I suppose that's where we got that statement from. It means worse than worst. But the men of Sodom were wicked. And then it says, and sinners. I looked up the word sinners there. And in the Hebrew, it means this. It means those exposed to condemnation, reckoned as offenders or criminals. In other words, Sodom was comprised of the worst of the worst. And basically what the Bible is saying is, is that they were nothing but a bunch of offenders. They were, it was, it was a, a city full, and it was a large city, they believe. It was a city full of offenders, a city full of criminals. We've heard of those cities of refuges throughout the word of God where a man could flee to. But, but uh, Sodom was sort of the opposite of that. Sodom was a city where the worst of the worst would flee to. And we find here in Genesis chapter 13 that Abraham and Lot decide to separate from one another and Lot consciously, consciously makes the choice to set up housekeeping near Sodom. Now, as you read this, you have to stop, you know, I believe you ought to read the Bible like it's alive because it is, and it? It's a living book. And as you read these scriptures, I find myself sort of stopping and saying, whoa, Lot, wait a minute, time out. What are you thinking? What are you doing? Man, why, why in the world are you moving to a place that is full of the worst of the worst and is full of offenders and criminals? And notice something here this morning, Calvary. Look at verse number 12. And I want you to hold your place there, Genesis. We're going to turn away from it in a little bit, but I want you to hold your place because we're going right back there. But Genesis 13, verse 12 was a very significant verse. The Bible says, Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain. Look at this last part. And pitched his tent toward Sodom. Did y'all see that? You know, if I read that right, and I think I do, you know what that tells me? That tells me that originally Lot didn't set up housekeeping in Sodom, but he pitched his tent in such a way that the flap of his tent was facing that direction. He wasn't actually there, but he was facing there. You know what that tells me? That every single morning when, kids, uh, when, when Lot's kids got up, the first thing they saw was the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah. It also tells me the last thing they saw before they went to bed was the, was the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah. And I would just encourage us and challenge us today to make sure that we know which way our home is pointed. Make sure that your home is not pointed to the world. Make sure your home is not pointed toward wickedness and idolatry and, and, uh, and, and all of these things, but make sure your home is pointed in the right direction. I said all of that to say this, when a righteous man, and Lot was, when a righteous man makes a conscious choice to reside near Sodom, it never works out. 
He said, Richard, I know the situation. I'm telling you, it never works out. When a righteous man decides to reside near a wicked people in a wicked place, this didn't happen by accident, happened by choice. It happened on purpose. He knew exactly what he was doing. I believe that that Lot knew before he ever went close to Sodom. I believe he knew what it was about. I believe that he knew the reputation. Uh, It was evidently a very prosperous city. That's what they tell us, a very prosperous place. In fact, they were so prosperous and so prideful and pompous that uh, they would not help homeless people. They would not uh, 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 give a lending hand to those that were down in their luck. And so it was a, a very prosperous place, but it was a very wicked place. And that's where Lot saw fit to to set up housekeeping. Did you know today that saved people will never be happy living like lost people? I want to say that again. Saved people, if you're here this morning and you know that you know that you know that you've been born again. And if that's your case, man, hallelujah, I rejoice with you today. But saved people will never be happy living like lost people. Again, I know, I know uh, people come and they're like, yeah, but. No, I'm telling you, there's no buts. There's no and, ifs, what's. There's There's no, you know, excuse that you can slide in there, I'm telling you, uh, and I don't know. Uh, you know, the more you learn, the more you learn you don't know. And, uh, uh, and, and after 30 years of pastoring the same church, I've still got so much learning to do. But, but I'll tell you, if I have learned anything in 30 years, over 30 years of ministry, I've learned this, that people that are truly born again will never, I said will never, I'm gonna say that again, they will never, I said they will never, I said they will never be happy living outside the will of Almighty God. Never will. Now there's pleasure in sin for a season. And I'm not saying that, that, that occasionally that sin won't be fun and it'll be exhilarating and it'll be exciting, but I'm telling you, there is pleasure in sin for a season, but the season changes and the joy goes away and the excitement goes away and the exhilaration goes away and then you're left with yourself. And I'm just telling us today, and I wanna, I wanna say this in love, but I'm telling you that you and I, you and I that are born again by the Spirit of God, we will never, we will never be happy out Outside the will of God. You say, Pastor, why is that? I'm, gonna, I'm about to tell you why. Lot made that conscious choice. Here he is in the will of God. I'll show you that tonight. I'll show you, don't miss tonight. I'll show you that tonight. Here Lot is in the will of God. And he makes a conscious choice to live in Sodom and Gomorrah. And Lot loses his life. I mean, just completely, his life is blown apart. Now, why does it never work to live outside of the will of God? Well, several things. Number one is what I'm gonna call the problem of association. Now look at Genesis 19. We gotta pick up speed here, so you're gonna have to hang on tight, all right? Genesis 19, and look at verse number four. Genesis 19, verse four. The Bible says, but before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, come past the house round, both old and young, all the people from every quarter. Now if you've been in our series, you know what's happened. These angels have come to Sodom and Gomorrah, and they've come to Lot's house, and they said, Lot, uh, we're gonna we're gonna abide in the street, and Lot says, "Oh no 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 no! You can't abide in the street. There's no way that you can stay on the street in Sodom. There's no way. It's not even a possibility." And he urges them to come into into his house. And so these men that Genesis 19 verse four is speaking of are these angelic beings. Verse number five says, "And uh, and they called unto Lot. These are the men of Sodom, and they called unto Lot and said unto him, Where are the men?'" which came into thee this night, bring them out unto us that we may know them. Watch verse six and seven. And Lot went out at the door unto them and shut the door after him. Watch verse seven, here it is. And said, I pray you brethren, do not so wickedly. Did you know because Lot personally and consciously decided to associate with the wicked, he became like the wicked. Now, our Bible very clearly tells us that Lot was a righteous man. 
But Lot went down to Sodom and Gomorrah and got hooked up with this godless bunch of offenders and criminals and sodomites. And because of that, we find that, that Lot becomes like the wicked. In fact, in verse number seven, he calls them brethren. <laughs> brethren. And I want to say, Lot, what in the world are you doing calling a bunch of sodomites brethren? We also find that his daughters, we don't know how many exactly, but we know at least two, we know that his daughters married sodomite boys. Now, church, this is what I'm saying. We don't have to guess about Lot's demise. We know what happened to Lot. Our Bible is very clear about that. You hold your place. If you want to turn there, you don't have to. I'll read it for you. But in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, the New Testament tells us exactly what it was that ruined Lot's life. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse number 7 says, And delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Now that's all I'm saying. There is a problem of association. You're not going to be a spirit-filled, dedicated, sold-out child of God when you're running with the wrong crowd. It's not going to happen. Now, I believe this. I believe at Calvary Baptist Church, and if you've been here any time at all, you know this is the case. I believe this ought to be the friendliest church in North Carolina. And I I believe everybody ought to be welcome. And by the way, everybody is welcome. And it doesn't matter who you are, and it doesn't matter how rich or how poor you are, and it doesn't matter what you wear or what you look like or what your skin color is, you are welcome at Calvary Baptist Church. But I do want to say this, Calvary, you better be careful because when you and I make a conscious choice to start running with the wrong crowd. Be very, very careful because there's a problem of association and you will become what you hang around. It's exactly why the Bible gives us Psalm 1 and verse number 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Why? Listen, if you walk in the counsel of the ungodly, you'll stand in the way of sinners. And if you stand in the way of sinners, you'll sit in the seat of the scornful. Oh, listen to me. What's the Bible saying? We ought to separate from the wrong crowd. That's why scripture gives us 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18. In fact, in fact, hold your place there in Genesis. Turn over there with me because I'd like you to see these verses for yourself. 2 Corinthians chapter number six. And look, if you will, at verse number 14. 2 Corinthians chapter six and verse number 14. Notice what the Spirit of God says to us here in very plain, plain language. 2 Corinthians chapter six, verse number 14. The Bible says, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial or worthlessness or sorriness? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Verse 17, wherefore, come out from among them and be as separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you and will be a father unto you and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Again, what's the, the Bible talking about? The Bible is talking about the problem of association. Listen, if you lay down with dogs, you get up with fleas. It's why we challenge our parents to be very careful about who you let your kids run with. We say, Pastor, my kids run with the doping crowd and the drinking crowd, but they would never do dope. Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. The Bible says that that, uh, uh, evil communications are corrupted by, uh, or good manners are corrupted by evil communications. In other words, whoever we run with, it begins to make a difference in our life. Now, you're in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I want you to turn back just a few pages to 1 Corinthians chapter number 5 and look at verse number 9. 1 Corinthians chapter number 5 and look at verse number 9. I know I'm giving you a lot of scripture this morning, but this is what the Lord gave me. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 9. 
evidently they were having a, a, a problem in the church of Corinth. And Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes this letter to the church of Corinth and he says in 1 Corinthians 5, verse number nine, I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators. Yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or with idolaters. For then must ye needs go out of the world. But now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such an one know not to eat. Now what's he saying? Don't hang around the wrong crowd. Man, don't, don't get out of God's will. Don't leave Canaan, end up in Sodom. That's what he's saying. We say, Pastor, what's the big deal? Tell you what the big deal is. You will be what you hang around. Now, somebody's here and somebody says, but pastor, you don't understand I've got to work. And I do understand you've got to work. Preacher, I've got to go to school. Preacher, I have a, I, I, I've got to go to the grocery store. I've got, to, I, I've, I've got to stop and get gas. I've got to live. I've got to be a part of this life with sinful people. And you're right about that. But here's what the Bible is teaching. Although you and I have to be in the world, we should not be of the world. As believers, you and I ought to be different. We ought to be a light that shines in darkness. But if you make a conscious choice, and I think that's the key word there, if you make a conscious choice to be with the world, you'll most certainly become like the world. You'll never be happy if you're a child of God outside of the will of God. And boy, there's something about the wrong crowd. Proverbs chapter one talks about that. They're not content until they get you involved in what they're doing. Read it for yourself. Proverbs chapter one, read it in your devotions later today. I, and I had friends like that. I'm thankful that in high school, God helped me and God diverted my path away from some of the things that some of my friends did. But, I, but, but for a little while, I hung around some of that crowd. And I'll never forget one of my, who I thought was one of my absolute best friends in the world came to me I remember to this day where we were standing we're at, on the school property. I remember that. And I, I remember him coming to me and he looked at me boldly and he said this. He said, Stephen, he said, you might as well do what we do because you're going to become just like we are. And why I'm so thankful that God caused a separation there. And I'm glad, I am so glad that I didn't go down that path. And by the way, a lot of those friends never rebounded. They never came back. They never got their life right with the Lord. And so there's the problem of association. Now, everybody hold on tight. You say, Pastor, why won't you be happy living outside the will of God? Not only the problem of association, but the problem, I'm gonna call it this, the problem of denunciation. Now turn back to Genesis 19 if you turn away from there because I want to show you something. The problem of denunciation. Did you know that Lot eventually criticized the lifestyle of the wicked? And when he did, boy, oh boy, they became enraged. Look at it with me if you will. Genesis chapter 19 verse number 5. And they called unto Lot and said unto him, where are the men which came into thee this night? Bring them out unto us that we may know them. You study that out for yourself. And that is a, 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 a clear sexual connotation there. Bring them out unto us that we may know them. And Lot went out at the door unto them and shut the door after him. Verse seven, here it is. And said, I pray you brethren, do not so wickedly. <laughs> oh boy, Lot. I hate to tell you this, that is not politically correct. He said, fellas, don't do this wicked thing. And may I say, Calvary Baptist Church, if you denounce the sin of the world, get ready for some pushback. Look what happened, verse number nine. And they said, boy, after he called them wicked, and they said, stand back. And they said again, this one fellow came in to sojourn in other words, we didn't give everybody else this opportunity to be like us, but we gave you this opportunity. This one fellow, we, you were a sojourner, but we allowed you to come in. 
We brought you in. That's what they're saying. This one fellow came into sojourn and he will needs be a judge. Now will we deal worse with thee than with them? And they pressed sore upon the man, even Lot, and came near to break the door. Oh, listen to me now. This is going to be pretty bold. But I want to tell you something, Calvary. As a Christian, you might as well draw a line in the sand right now between sin and right, which is very unpopular to do anymore. You might as well draw a line in the sand now because if you wait and you tolerate the sin of sinners and then later you take a stand, I got news for you, they're not gonna like you. They might like you now as long as you tolerate their sin. But when it finally comes a day and you've got a snoop full and you just can't take it anymore, and you say, let me tell you something, that's wicked. Get ready. You better watch out. Because the world loves you as long as you condone their sin. But when you criticize their lifestyle, hang on. They're coming after you. We live in a politically correct world who loves to change the names of sin. So it really doesn't seem that bad. So now, we don't call it sin. It's a complex. And it's not sin, it's an addiction. And it's not sin, it's dependency. And it's not sin, it's a mental disorder and a chemical imbalance. It's not sin, it's an obsession. It's not sin, it's a phobia. It's not sin, it's a disease. It's not sin, it's a quirk. It's not sin, it's indiscretion. It's a misspoken word, it's a mistake. And so now we've changed all the names. You see, if they're rich, they don't steal, they confiscate. And they're not greedy, it's just business. And if they're poor, they're not thieves, they're kleptomaniacs. And they're not called gospers anymore. They're speedily transmitting partially factual information. They're not cursing. They're speaking adult language. Well, we hear that all the time, don't we? They're not drunks. They're alcoholics. They're not liars. They're just creative. They're not whores. They're call girls. They're not whoremongers. They're players. They're not baby killers. They're abortionists. They're not fornicators. They're cohabitators. They're not homosexuals. They're gay. And isn't it interesting, it's no longer looting a Walmart or a Target. It's protesting. You say, Pastor, you better move away. Too late. Too late. I'm drawing a line in the sand right now. Too late. Let me, let me, I found this this week. Somebody said this. Somebody said you can put wings on a pig, but that doesn't make it an eagle. And you can call sin anything you want to call it. And you can put every other label you want to put on it. My mother friend, it's sin, it's sin, it's sin, it's sin, it's sin. And we don't preach about it anymore. And we don't talk about it much anymore. But it's sin, it's sin, it's sin, it's sin, it's sin. And by the way, there is a remedy. And his name is Jesus. There's a problem of denunciation. I found this article this week, and I, and I don't normally do this, but I want to read, and it's lengthy, and I want to read this article for you if I could. It was a commentary by a nationally syndicated U.S. columnist, uh, Mona Shireen, in the Louisville Courier-Journal. She reported that 90% of Americans believe in God, 58% say that religion is very important to them, 43% attend weekly services, in a society that enshrines tolerance and reluctance to make moral judgments as to the highest virtues, what can they be hearing at those weekly services in those churches? What does all this really mean? Sharon concludes that the secular worldview is influencing the churches far more than the churches are influencing society. After examining the moral education curricula at churches and synagogues around the nation, she reports that repentance and redemption are out. And self-help, self-esteem, and self-love are now in. She cites a, a, a devout religious educator, radio broadcaster, who is against premarital sex 
and does not slight their traditional Christian teachings on marriage, fidelity, honesty, etc. Yet the first reason the educator gives for refraining from premarital sex is the risk of venereal disease. She reports that another evangelical writer is even more in sync with popular psychology by emphasizing self-esteem and understanding the so-called, quote, inner child. But the problem of sin is absent in their teachings. The mainline churches go even further. Here are some quotes from leaders at some of these churches around America. Quote, loving myself is the heart of living. To love oneself is holy. Listen to this one, Brother Brandon. Handing out absolutes is a disservice to young people. Sin isn't one of our issues. That kind of language wouldn't relate to them anyway. Our young people would not respond to that. Sharon concludes that building self-esteem has become a substitute for moral reasoning and self-examination and the national response, both secular and religious, is to call in the shrinks. Another recent article in my local paper was on how reformed Jewish leaders voted to allow same-sex marriages. Quote from these Jewish rabbis, quote, it is not sinful to be gay and lesbian. Said Rabbi Paul Minotov, it is sinful to have these prejudices and act out on them. Just in case you're wondering what that means, the tables have turned. So it's no longer sinful to be living in sin, but it is sinful to say something about it. That's what they're saying. Presbyterian, United Methodist, and the Episcopal Church leaders are expected to take up the issue later this year Another article reported that in a recent poll, evangelicals are softening towards homosexuality. It says that the evangelicals polled viewed education, healthcare, and the environment as more important issues and that they see the religious community as, quote, coming to terms with our diverse and pluralistic society. The writer says that this, quote, breakthrough will profoundly affect the next generation, and it is, the Christian ethic is collapsing in America. There is no longer an absolute standard of right and wrong. Human reason has replaced God's word as the ultimate authority in Western nations. But how many know that we need to take a stand for the word of God and help people see that our only hope is in Jesus Christ and him alone? Now, this is all I'm saying. Young people, I want you to understand something today. There are some absolutes. This is an absolute right here. This word is an absolute and it tells us what is right and it tells us what is wrong and it tells us which direction to go and it tells us how to live and if you make a conscious choice to get away from this book right here, I'm telling you, you will never be happy. You never will be. You say, well, pastor, I don't believe that's the absolute. I ask you a question. How you doing? How you doing, America? Back when we believed this book was the word of God, back when we believed this book was the word of God, we were doing a whole lot better. We didn't have to worry, we didn't have to worry about a kid walking into Arlington, Texas high school and shooting defenseless, innocent children. We didn't worry about that back then. We didn't have the epidemics of drugs that are cascading through this nation like they are, like a, like a, uh, a, a runaway locomotive, like a river that's out of control. And, and it seems like every single day we're hearing of more and more people that are addicted to narcotics and addicted to painkillers and, and folks that are addicted to the bottle and, and marriages that are going, uh, going to pot. And, and you say, preacher, what's going on? I'll tell you what's going on, my dear friend. There is the problem of denunciation. We better go ahead right now and just draw the line and say, hey, Jesus is the way I'm going to do it. I'm going to live for God and, and I don't care what everybody else does and I don't care what everybody else says and I may be popular and I may not be popular but I'm going to live for the cause of Jesus Christ. Now let me quickly say this morning a spirit-filled Christian should never denounce the sinner but we should denounce the sin. 
If you're, just in case you're wondering, sinners are welcome at Calvary. You're looking at one. I is one. And so sinners are welcome. And so we should never denounce the sinner, but we should always denounce the sin. And although we welcome sinners into our, into our church, church, we cannot allow sin to come into our church. As, spirit -filled, as a spirit-filled church, we should never reject the sinner, but we should always reject the sin. Psalm 97, 10, the Lord said, ye that love the Lord hate evil. Billy Sunday said, if you're gonna love flowers, you gotta hate the weeds. And if you're gonna love God, you gotta hate sin. And I think it was John Wesley, I'm not sure about this, but I think it was John Wesley who said this, give me 100 men who love nothing but God and hate nothing but sin, and I'll turn the world around. You see, this is all I'm saying, and I don't think I'm saying it very well, this is all I'm saying. If you're saved, you'll never be happy out of God's will. Because there's the problem of association, the problem of, of denunciation, and we're done, we're done today. The problem of deterioration. Did y'all notice that because of Lot's continuous compromise, his testimony deteriorated? Did y'all see that? Look back at, at Genesis 19 and verse 14, and we're done. We're out, we're out of here. Genesis 19, verse 14, the Bible says in Lot, here the angels came and they said, Lot, God's gonna judge Sodom and Gomorrah. You've gotta get out. God's showing you mercy. Go get whatever you have in the city. Get them and get out. And look at verse 14. And Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters, and said, Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. Look at the last line. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. You know why? He had lost his testimony. His testimony had just withered away because he made a conscious choice to live in Sodom. Hey, parents, did you know it's gonna be difficult to discourage your kids from doing something that they always see you do? And I know some parents who they try the uh, don't do as I do, do as I say. And that does work. My little grandson was over here just a minute ago, Moses. He's five years old, is that right? Four years old. And you can say to Moses, Moses, you do as I say, not as I do. And that'll work while he's that age. But I can guarantee you this, when he's 15, that won't fly anymore. And ultimately, he's going to do, people do what people see. People do what people see. And your kids are going to do what your kids are going to see. And so because of that, man, I got to stay in God's will. Man, I got, all my kids are grown. All my kids are gone now. I got seven grandbabies. And they think, at least, they believe that Papal's a preacher. They call it Papal's church. We going to Papal's church today? It's not Papal's church, but that's what they say. They know that Papal's a preacher. They know that Papal's a Christian. What's going to happen to my seven grandchildren if I decide, make a conscious choice to leave Canaan and go to Sodom? You know what's going to happen? It's going to impact them. It's going to impact them. And if you make a choice, a conscious choice to leave the will of God, I guarantee you it's going to impact some people. It's going to impact your kids. It's going to impact your coworkers. It's going to impact your church. And so Calvary, can I just say this, man, let's just stay in the will of God. Well, I had some other things I was going to say, but I'm going to end it right there. Father, we thank you for your blessings. Father, help us to be so careful. Lord, if we're not careful, we can slide. If we're not careful, Lord, the enemy can move us. The enemy can discourage us. Lord, the enemy can 
get us sort of sideways with the things of the Lord. And before we know it, before we know it, we've moved from the perfect will of God to a place like Sodom and Gomorrah. Father, I pray that you're working hearts today. And uh, I would have have liked to have done a better job, but I pray that you'll take this attempt. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you'll bring the increase. Father, maybe there's a Christian here this morning, or maybe there's one watching by way of the live stream. And they've sort of had one foot in the church and one foot in the world. Lord, would you help them to realize that they'll never be happy outside the will of God. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And the enemy will give us 10,000 excuses on why we ought to leave, why we ought to get out of church, quit reading our Bible, quit soul winning, quit singing in the choir, quit being active in Sunday school. He'll give us 10 million reasons. And Father, if we take him up on that, we're not going to be happy. Father, I pray that you're working this invitation and speak to hearts, please. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Question, how many here today would say, Pastor, if I died today, I know that I know that I know that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, I'm on my way to heaven and nobody's looking, nobody's looking. But you say, Pastor, that's me. If you know that you've been born again, would you just slip your hand up just as a testimony, just as a testimony. Hallelujah, you can lower your hands. Can I ask a second question? And I'll make you a promise with this second question. I'm not gonna come back and try to drag you down the aisle. I've never done that. I'm not gonna do it today. We don't do that at Calvary. We're not gonna force anybody to come to the altar or nothing like that. We are going to give folks an opportunity, though. And I wonder how many are here today who would say, Brother Pope, I'm going to be honest. If I died today, I'm sure I want to go to heaven, but I'm just not sure that I would go to heaven. I'm not sure. And I care enough to slip up my hand very quietly and, and just let you pray for me. And I'll not embarrass you in any way. I just want to pray for you. And right now, with heads bowed and eyes closed and nobody looking, would you just slip your hand up right now and just raise it up? Say, Pastor, would you remember me? Remember me. God bless you. Thank you. Who else? Who else? God bless you. Thank you. Who else? Preacher, if I died today, I'm not 100% sure that I would go to heaven. Would you pray with me? Just slip your hand up right now. Is there anybody else? Can I pray with you? Just raise it up high so we don't miss you, okay? It's easy to miss. Anybody else? Pastor, would you remember me? Would you pray for me? I'm going to pray for these. I'm going to pray for these. Amen. Child of God, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But I just wonder maybe, maybe just maybe there's somebody here today and maybe the enemy has been working overtime. Overtime. Giving you such a time. Trying to drag you away from the perfect will of God. Trying to get you discouraged. Giving you 10 million reasons why you ought not come to church or read your Bible or spend time in prayer or live the Christian life. And if that's the case, if that's you this morning, I'm going to ask you to do something. In just a moment when we stand, I'm going to ask you to leave your seat and I'm going to ask you to tiptoe down to this altar and pray and get God to help you on this thing. He'll help you. He's willing to help you. I'm going to ask some Christians as well to come today and just pray for these lost sinners, these that have raised their hands. I'm going to ask some folks to come pray for them. I'm going to ask our, our, our personal worker team if they would just very quietly make their way to the front. And while these are coming, would you just stand with us all over the house today? Father, thank you for this time we've had together this morning. 
Lord, I know I said, I said some things that in this day and time are very controversial. Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about our kids. Lord, they're so confused anymore. It's like they don't know which way is up and which way is down. And Father, would you remind us today that there are some absolutes. And it is an absolute that if we get, if we leave the will of God, we're not going to have fulfillment and joy and happiness. Father, I pray that Christians would come and I pray that they would gather around this old-fashioned altar and pray. And then, Lord, I pray for these that have raised their hands and said, Pastor, I'm not sure about heaven. God, right now I'm asking you to give them boldness, courage. And I pray that right now they'll step out. And God, we've got somebody here that would love to pray with them to, to just give them some scripture on how they can know that heaven's going to be their home. Jesus is their Lord and Savior. God, give them courage to come. Work in hearts, God, I pray. Help folks that maybe there are Christians here today that, that need to rededicate their life to Jesus Christ. And today they would come and, and they would say, Lord, I'm giving my life back to you. Lord, I've, I've, I sort of wandered, I sort of strayed. Lord, I'm coming back to God today. Lord, maybe there are those who've been saved, but they've not been baptized and they need to come and make themselves a candidate for baptism. Or, Lord, it could be that there are those here today that have, are not the member of a good Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church, and you're leading them to join with Calvary. I pray that you'd work in their hearts. Have you in this invitation, please, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. We have some folks called personal workers across the front of the auditorium today and they have a Bible in hand and they're up here because they would like to take the Bible and show you from the Bible how you can know that you're going to heaven when you die you say brother Pope can anybody know that oh yes 1 John 5 13 says these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life it's what we call the gospel. And we'd love to share that with you today. If you raise your hand and say, Pastor, I am not sure about heaven. Would you come right now? We have someone who wants to help you. Would you come? Would you come? Others around the altar praying. Now's a good time to come. Would you come? Would you come? We're praying for you right now. Pastor, I am saved. But I so need to rededicate my life to Jesus Christ. Preacher, I'm not where I need to be. I know I'm not. Man, it's time. It's time to get right with God. Maybe you've been out for a long time. And right now you feel the Holy Ghost that's working in your heart. You say, Preacher, I need to get right with the Lord. Why don't you come? We're not going to make you give a speech or anything like that. We just like to pray with you. We want to claim victory with you today. Would you come while we wait?